The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Diamondback Covers, the absolute best cover you could ever spend your money on. If you need an insurance policy for all the expensive gear on the back of your truck, then you need a Diamondback cover. Make the bed of your truck a vault with Diamondback. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want it? Yeah. Welcome back to Redneck Tech Podcast. This is going to be episode 91. Didn't look it up again. <laughs> um, I'm fairly certain. I'm going to say 91 sounds I'm correct. pretty sure that's right. Let me double check. Yeah, because uh, I yep. made it was 91 I made the graphics yep. last. 91 is going to be the episode podcast number for this one. Um, this is going to be the live Q&A. Uh, we are live on YouTube right now. We've got several of our loyal 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 followers and question askers and supporters that are uh live on youtube with us right now ryer set all this up the other day and this was going to be the day that everybody wanted to do it it's two o'clock on friday april the 17th so i don't know when you're watching this you might be watching it live you might watch it later on but we've got quite a few questions that we've been keeping up with over the last i don't know a couple weeks we've got a couple of brand new ones that just came in and if you're watching this Jump on here and ask some more questions. Um, we'll stay here as long as it takes to to answer all the questions. But first question already came in. Let's just jump right to it and see if we can keep this as concise as possible because we tend to go pretty long. Yeah. And spoiler alert, next week, we said this, if you're watching live, you already know this. Next week is going to be a very different podcast. Um, it was very impromptu. We actually recorded it day before yesterday. Ryan and I were sitting in there eating lunch and... Uh, we got to talking about movies because I love movies. I adore movies. Um, my, my actually my dream job is to review movies, um, not scary movies. I don't like those. And when we got to start talking, and Ryer t- tells me all the movies he has not seen, and I'm not going to spoil, but there's a really really big one he hasn't seen that really really hurt Chuck in my feelings. So he hasn't watched it. Still, you still haven't watched it, have you? Oh, we got home. What? I don't when care. was what I supposed you, to? I don't care what time you go home. You should have watched it last night. I don't care if you come in late to work. <laughs> you watched that movie. Anyway. I got the whole weekend. Maybe I'll do it tonight. Maybe. I don't have full control oh. over my schedule. What? Why not? Are you not the man of the house? <laughs> I am, but... So at the same if, time, before I get Ryan even more trouble, if she doesn't want to watch the movie, <laughs> probably not going to watch the movie. Okay, so we who wears the pants in this relationship. So not to get not to get Ryan in any more trouble. Um, we we did a full podcast on my favorite movies and like the three that he has seen. So I pretty much give Ryan crap the whole time. We go through a couple of plots, go through a couple of series. It's completely different than anything we've ever done, but it was a lot of fun, and it's long. It went way longer than we thought it would. It might be something that we do to change up and you know change pace every now and again is talk about some movies or some series or something that's going on in popular movie culture at the time. But anyway, that one's coming up, not, not this next Monday because that will be this one. It will be the following Monday. So uh, first question was what? The first question is from... The Outdoor Mentors. Uh, 
Does anyone run 360 cameras? I know one person that runs a 360 camera, and that is Casey Schutman, and he ran it for a little while and doesn't run it anymore. So I think it's the user interface, and this is just me with my very limited knowledge because I've never ran one, don't know very much about them. The user side of it on getting the footage to be and do and look the way that you want after you shoot it seem to be a little tougher. I do see value in them and how cool they can be, but I just don't, you know, the practicality of them, I don't know, I just don't see it. I have no I have no desire to mess with them. Um, and the only way I'm going to mess with them is when the industry requires it. You know, when everybody else is doing it, um, and, and that's something that people expect, then we might do it. But right now, don't see us messing with it. Don't care to. Yeah, I think right now it's a very niche tool, and I don't think, uh, I don't, I think it's kind of like 3D. Mm-hmm. I think when 3D first came out, people said, uh, "It's cool." People said yeah. 3D is going to be the way that all movies are made. Yeah. Nobody's going to watch 2D movies, uh, and it turns out that the majority of movies that we watch these days are 2D. In fact, I mean, there was a time period where there was a ton of 3D movies coming mm-hmm. out. Uh, and you, I just don't see that as much anymore. Uh, I think between people not wanting to go to theaters and probably the costs involved with making it, and oftentimes I think it's a lower quality, uh, it's a lower quality viewing experience if you just look pixel to pixel. I think. Yeah. Uh, people don't people don't really go to see three D movies as much as we thought they would, and it certainly has not become standard. I think the 360 camera is going to be something like that. I think that for certain experiences, uh, it'll be useful, but I don't think it's going to become a standard for viewing or production. Now, I could be wrong, but I don't. I don't see that happening myself. But it could. You never know. Yeah, Clay. Uh, Clay commented said that he has used one for real estate and it was a pain. Was it one? Was it that Matterport one, or was it a? Because I know they've got that Matterport 3D scanner thing. Um, but, yeah, I it would have to be a pain. I can't even imagine. I haven't messed with it at all on the editing side of things. But if Premiere Pro has a hard time editing 2D footage, <laughs> I, really, I really don't want to put yeah. 3D footage in there. Yeah, it has trouble editing footage. It came off a micro SD card. Yeah, it's probably having a rough time. Yeah, uh he also said he's ready to dump his GoPro Max. Yeah, well, good luck with that. I'm not buying it. Yes, Matterport. Yeah. I was, we almost used one of those, uh, but never did. It looked like it was kind of complicated. Yeah. And you have to host the videos. If you actually want, like, the 3D walkthrough, you have to host it on their site. And that's what's most expensive. Oh, really? It's because you have to pay for the continued hosting of that oh, video. That's really sweet of them. So... Um, second question that we had come through that's not on the list yet is we posted a night lapse that I did. Well, Clay wants to know if if oh, are we going across? Are we going are we going out of order? Well, no. We had a question from Clay if if one of us is going to go to Minnesota for him because it's supposed to snow. No, no, you're it's your fault that you're from Florida. So just go freeze your little can off. <laughs> um, do the night lapse question? Yeah. 
Um, we got a question came in, and this actually came in through Cop- Copeland Creative page, Cope Creative. Um, we posted a night lapse yesterday that I shot in, I'm, f- I'm fairly certain it was in October. And I, when you asked me yesterday if it was last year or the year before, I feel like it was the year before. It might have been 2018 when I shot that. I don't even remember. It I was, wasn't there. Yeah, no, I think that was before your time. I think it was 2018. I was not even alive. <laughs> before you were, my time you were dead to me then yes <laughs> um so i can't i can't remember for sure i'd have to go back and look at the folders on my computer to say exactly when i shot it but um that was in southeast oklahoma really pretty you know clear night and just a great location where this big lodge that we were hunting out of sat on this hill um and and the question was what settings do did i use for a night lapse well just like every picture and every video we've ever taken, there's not a set setting that you can go in. I wish there was. It would make Well, I don't wish there was because if there was, there'd be even more competition in this business than there already is. But the way generally, you know, when it's a really, really dark night and you're going to want to go shoot a night lapse, what we're doing is we're using our DSLRs, and that's a, that's a series of pictures that we put together in post-production. We go in, we color each picture, or we color one picture, we batch edit the pictures to where the you know the, the stars pop the most, and then we export those into Premiere into a time lapse. But the way that we get the pictures through the DSLR is what's called a long exposure. Generally, those can be from. Gen, I mean, I think of long exposures as anything that's not in the hundredths of a second or the tenths of a second. You know, a one second exposure to a thirty second exposure. As soon as those little apostrophes yeah. pop up, yeah, in the viewfinder. So, and the way that you do this, that's your, your your shutter speed. And essentially, the shutter speed on that camera for that night lapse, particularly that night, I can't remember exactly what they were. But I, what I do is I go and take a bunch of test pictures. And generally, in the darkest, darkest night, it's going to be 20 to 30 second exposures most of the time. And uh, then I, all I'll do is I'll mess with, I'll just roll my shutter all the way to 30 seconds, which is the max, what the, my 5D will do. I'll roll it all the way to the max. I'll set my camera down and I'll frame it um, to where I kind of want it. And usually what I'll do is I'll take a flashlight to look in my viewfinder to frame my shot. And there's other ways of doing that. You can just bump your ISO way up until you can see in your viewfinder and frame it. There's a lot of different ways to do that. Sometimes if you find you could do it on the moon or a really bright star. Yeah. And you can frame that way, which when I say frame, that's looking in your, your camera and seeing what's how the how the landscape or how the house or how the sky looks inside that frame. And once I get that, it's on a tripod and it's locked down. It cannot move. I, I roll my shutter to 30 seconds. And then what I am have to worry with is I have my f-stop all the way down, which I think it was on a 16 to 35 lens, so it was at 2.8. And then all you have to mess with is your ISO. Generally, my ISO ranges from, depending on how dark the night is, from... Two three hundred all the way up to a thousand. I don't like going over a thousand. And then what I'll do is I'll take t- take test pictures, and one will be too bright. I'll bump down my ISO, or I'll bump my shutter down until I get the picture that I want. And then once I get it set, then I just I turn my time lapse mode on on my camera, or I set my intervalometer. Some of my other cameras had Magic Lantern. There's lots of different ways to take time lapses. I just set it to go and walk away. And and what we do. In, and the reason how many pictures we need to get is I like my I like my time lapse to be at least ten seconds long. So what does that mean if I'm if I'm editing in twenty four frames a second in a twenty four second timeline? 
I need at least 240 pictures. If you're in a 29.97 or a 30 frames a second timeline, you need 300 pictures. Well, then all you do is just do some math. Like, okay, well, this is going to take 30 seconds to take this picture. I've got a five-second interval, so it's going to take a picture. Wait five seconds, take another picture. So every 35 seconds is taking a picture. Okay, 35 seconds times 240 is this many seconds, blah, blah, blah. Generally, I leave it for either around three hours or until the battery dies, and I like to start with a brand-new battery. And then all you do is compile it in post, and there's your time-lapse. It's And the first time I heard this speech from my production manager on how to shoot a night lapse, I was like, that's really hard. <laughs> it's super complicated. There's a lot of steps. It really isn't. Once you do the first one, just to simplify it, is lock your camera down, get your settings right, take the pictures, get your pictures off the computer, or put those on the computer, run those through Lightroom, put those in Premiere, export out your time-lapse. I mean, it's... Set not, each individual picture as one frame. Yeah. Each each picture did that take it. So it took 35 seconds overall. 30 seconds to take it, 5 seconds to write to the card, and then start taking another picture. Each one of those 30-second pictures is one frame. And when you're generally watching TV or a movie, there's 24 frames in one image. In, in one second, not one image. So... I feel like I really fumbled through that one. I hope that made sense. If it didn't make sense, saying something in the comments, and we'll just start all over again on that one. I feel like I was all over the place on that. Uh, we will. I'm trying to figure out how to like manage doing these questions and doing the questions that we had previously. So I guess maybe we'll try to do like an every other thing. Well, I just got two more from Mike on here. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've got live going on my phone too, so oh. I can help you. Um, we'll we'll do the one with uh, Mike with cameras similar to the red. Is focusing still done on the lens, or do you have buttons? Uh, the reason I ask, filming with the Sony A7 III, focusing slash zooming while filming is a pain. Focusing while what now is a pain? Focusing slash zooming while filming is a pain. So, with cameras similar to the red, is focusing still done on the lens, or do you have buttons? No, I think, I mean, as far as I know, all focusing is done on the lens. Mm-hmm. But I'm not. I'm generally not focusing while I'm zooming, because you most cameras, which some of the most of the ones we have don't do a very good job of this, are what are supposed to have be called back focus. So once you've zoomed into something and pull focus on it, and you zoom all the way back, it's still supposed to be in focus. Sometimes that doesn't happen, and you just have to refocus. But you got to remember, all the cameras that we're running are cinema-style cameras. So they have detachable lenses, and they run just like a DSLR. So we're never zooming and focusing at the same time. So you push into your subject, and you pull focus. You pull back, and you focus. Is that, is that what he's asking? Yeah, I think probably, and you can chime in if we're misinterpreting the question, just... Uh, is focusing still done on the lens? Yes. Yeah, as far as yeah. I know. All of the all of the video rigs we run, the focusing is still done on the lens. I mean, there's a dedicated focus yeah. ring. And that's, uh, there's and a dedicated zoom. As far as I know, zoom. that's all cameras and lenses. Every All the focus is done on the lens. Yeah, except I mean, except for maybe some of the handy cams, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah, but those are in, those are autofocus, though. So. Yeah. Yeah, as long as, it's, as long as you're in manual focus, yeah, the only way to pull focus is with the lens. Yep, and then... Photography-wise, um, I mean, some you use autofocus on the back of the camera or the half-shutter button. But while filming, yeah, we definitely are always 
focusing on the lens and then winter, zooming as well. Winter Productions just uh, jumped in. Um, yes, we literally just answered that question. So, all right. I feel like I've fumbled it anyway, so let me go through that one one more time. So, I'm going to try and make this as concise as possible. Winter Productions asked, what settings did we use to get the night lapse that we posted on our Instagram page was it yes, yesterday? Yeah, posted okay. on co-creative last so th- night. That was in southeast Oklahoma. Super, super dark night. But to kind of go back, there's never a single, you know, single solitary setting that works for all night lapses. They change and they vary, but they don't vary a lot. Generally, a night lapse is going to be a 20 to 30 second shutter. So I'm going to roll that shutter button way down to 20 or 30 seconds. I believe this one was 30 because it was really, really dark. So what I'm doing is I'm getting in my viewfinder and I'm framing my shot. And if it's in the in the nighttime, I'll shine a flashlight and kind of look through my viewfinder and try and get the frame how I want it. Or I'll take a couple test pictures until I get where I want it to be. So I'll roll my shutter to 30 seconds. I'll roll my f-stop as low as it'll go. Some lenses are 4, some are 2.8, some will go lower than that. This was a 16 to 35, so it was a 2.8 lens. So f-stop's on 2.8, shutter speed's on 30 seconds. And then my ISO is where I'm going to have that change in light. So I'm just going to start taking test pictures. I'm usually going to start on ISOs about 500, take a test picture, see what that looks like. If it's hot, I'll turn it down. If it's not hot enough or if not bright enough, I'll turn it up. I don't like going above 1,000 because you're going to start introducing a bunch of noise and a bunch of grain into your image. And generally, my settings are going to be really close to that. Now, if ISO won't darken it down enough at 30 seconds, then I'll turn my shutter down. Okay, so then what I do is once I have my camera set and I have my settings right, just for the sake of argument, there it's f2.8, ISO of 500, shutter speed of 30 seconds, which is on a perfect night, that's usually around about what it is. So I've got that camera set. So with my 5D Mark IV, there's actually a function inside the camera where you can turn it on a time-lapse mode. I can't remember what the mode's actually called. Inter- interval? It's, it might be interval something, but anyway, so what I'll do is now I know my picture is going to take 30 seconds to take. It's going to take 30 seconds for that shutter to open and close to take one picture. So what I want to do is I want to give that camera time to write to the card. So I'm going to set an interval of five seconds. So it takes 30 seconds to shoot the image, five seconds to write to the card, and then it starts taking another picture. And, that's, and it just does that all night long. And now the camera is locked down on a tripod the whole night. I don't move it. And, I, and you want to take enough images to equate to about a 10-second time lapse. So one frame equals, or one image equals one frame. And if you're editing in 24 frames a second, 24 pictures for one second. So if you need 10 seconds, you need 240 pictures. And then once I get those pictures done and I let it run all night long, I'll go get my camera I'll put that in, uh, I'll bring those images into Lightroom. I'll color the first image to how I like it to make those stars really pop and uh, do all my color correction, everything. And then I'll batch edit all those pictures. I'll export those. And when I export those, I bring those into Premiere as a, uh, what's it called? When you import them as a a sequence, image sequence. Mm -hmm. So you import those as an image sequence and we can do a tutorial. I think I actually have a tutorial on how to do this on our it, yeah, we do. I've done I've done this entire thing on how to color the images on the Redneck Tech podcast page. So if you want to see the video of how I do this in post, it's all in there. Um, I bring those into Light, Lightroom, color them, bring them into Premiere, image sequence, bring those in, export out the time lapse. I'm done. So 
that's the uh that's the quickest and dirtiest version. It sounds complicated, it's really not. Um and then Mike asked me how how are ours so smooth because his are not and, and their yours is seamless, mine are always choppy. Well, yours might be choppy because you're not shooting you might be shooting an aperture priority or auto or something. Everything's got to be locked down in manual on a night lapse. It and it's got to stay. The settings have to stay the same all night long. They cannot change because if they change, that's where you're going to get choppiness in between the images. Um, that once you set those settings up for that first image, it's got to stay like that all night long. It can't change at all. Um, and most of the time, I leave my camera out all night until the batteries die. Um, so you know, if I have to, it, if it's early season and it gets dark really late. Like, it'll start getting dark at 7 o'clock. Well, then I'll go pull my camera at 10 and then go to bed. But if it's, like, late season or, uh, like, September, where it doesn't get late till you know, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, well, I don't want to stay up with that when i got to get up and hunt the next morning. I'll leave it up all night long. When I get up in the morning to get ready to hunt, I'll go pull my camera, switch batteries, switch cards, go again. Yeah. And Our 5Ds are workhorses, man. They run, they're running all the time for something. When I was in Colorado, I left it out a couple nights, and a couple nights I came back, and it was frost. I mean, it was basically frosted over. The yeah, camera was, yeah. but they're weather sealed. So, yeah. um, we test the weather sealing on them for sure. Yeah, I've had mine rained on. I mean, they're tough cameras, dude. Those Canon freaking cameras are tough. Mm-hmm. So, hope I answered that one. Have any more come up? I hope that did that answer winter productions. He said, yeah. Okay, he that, said that it, makes great sense. Okay, good. Um. Let's jump to one on the list here. Okay. We're going to do what is a raw photo. You get that one. So generally when you're taking pictures like on your phone, uh, you're going to take a picture in a certain file format. And generally that file format is going to be a JPEG, .jpeg. Uh, a raw file is a different file format. Basically what it is is... Um, I guess it's easier to explain this kind of with a, my favorite way to explain it is with a baking uh, analogy. So when you take a picture, uh, like on your phone, what it does is it takes all the light uh, coming in and records it on the sensor, and it's all math and numbers and stuff, and then it has like a recipe. And that recipe determines how it's going to interpret all of that information. And then it takes that recipe, interprets it, bakes the ingredients, which is all the light that's in your scene, and then spits out a finished product, you know, a cake, but actually it's a it's a image. And that recipe is the JPEG. And um, a raw picture takes all of those ingredients, but it doesn't bake them. It just records them all onto the card or in this .CR2 or .ARW format. So that when you bring that into Lightroom, that's where you can actually start messing with some of those ingredients. And then once you're happy with it, then you bake it yourself, export it as a JPEG, and then you can share it. So a raw picture is basically a picture that retains all of the image information instead of compressing it and baking it in before you get to go do your edits. Uh, And the reason why this is important to know if you're doing photography or video uh, but you generally don't get to work with raw video until you start shooting on like a red. Uh, but definitely with photography, you want to shoot in raw because it gives you all that information to edit with. And so you have 
all of the raw ingredients, if we're going to stay with the metaphor, in that picture. And then you can start messing with them when you bring it into Lightroom. And you have so much more range to mess with uh, before you actually bake in all those changes so that when you are done editing and you get a picture that you like, um, you can export it and it looks a lot better. Yeah, yeah. So just rule of thumb, when you're shooting images, shoot them in RAW. Just a JPEG is going to be a much smaller image, but once you go to color correct it and mess with it, it's just not going to have the backbone to do the things that you want to do that a raw image is going to have. It's just going to start falling apart if you try and start really, really tweaking with it. You should try and start with the best image you possibly can. You need to do a good job of taking the picture and exposing correctly. But the raw image is going to give you so much more latitude in fixing exposure, shadows, midtones, color, all those things. Um, we don't shoot pictures that aren't in raw anymore. Every image that we shoot is in raw. My time lapses are in raw. So the only thing that you with raw that is a disadvantage is like you said, the file sizes are bigger. File sizes are bigger, and you can't just share that image. You can't take a raw picture and yeah. put it on your phone. And like, if I take a raw picture and I don't even, you might be able to send it to my phone with the camera, but it's not, yeah. I don't really, well, I won't be able to send it to you. Yeah. I have to take it. I have to put it into a program and I have to, I don't have to edit it, but you have to put it into a program and you have to export it out of that program as a JPEG yeah. or as a PNG or as a different file type yeah. to send it. Yeah. So in a Canon raw image, it's a .CR2 and the Nikon Raw is a dot, is it DNG or ARW? I think it's DNG. And then Sony's Raw is dot ARW. I think it's ARW. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the that's the file extension for a raw file out of those cameras. Yeah, I kind of stumbled through that one. No, I thought that was I like the baking and the cake analogy. It makes me hungry. Well, that's how I always like to think of it because I like cake. So raw outdoor mentors, is there a way to pre- preview raw files on a card or PC before importing into Lightroom? I'm pulling in 300 files just to preview. PC won't open raw. Max will. You Ma- can. Yeah, Max will preview them. Yeah, um, you can preview them in a Mac, but it doesn't like it. But it'll do it. Um, I don't really. Think- I don't know. I don't. I don't know much about PCs to be honest. Um, it. I would I would still pull them into Premiere or into Lightroom though to preview them even if I couldn't just because so, Lightroom's going to give you the best preview, you know it's going to give you all that information when you're looking at something. Um, I would still use Lightroom to preview even if I I mean even if I didn't have even if I didn't pre- which I don't preview CR2 files much on my uh, Mac anyway except just to know what's in the folder. Other than that, everything's done in Lightroom. Yeah. I... I always just pull them all into Lightroom and then I have a folder structure all set up in there and I just pull them all in there. And then when I have them all in there, then I go through and I pick the ones that I actually want to edit. And then I filter by the picks and then I edit those ones. If you really were worried about hard drive space, you could take uh, the ones that you reject and you can tell Lightroom that you want to delete them out of Lightroom and also off the card. Um, I d- I never do that. I don't ever delete them off the card because we just keep everything and we've got. If we need more space, we get more hard drives. Yeah. But Lightroom does have that capability. So if the reason you're wanting to preview them is because you only want to import the ones that you want to edit, then I would say just bring them all in and then 
pick the ones that you like, and then you can delete the other ones. And if you were thinking of talking, worried about file space, I mean, pictures are tiny compared to video. So. Yeah. All right, next, uh, what's the next question on the list? Next question on the list is renting gear. Uh, and what companies do we use? We had this question the other day on the phone from some some guys that were asking. Um, we rent some stuff. We don't rent a ton of stuff, but in the past, um, the the company that we've used that are super easy to work with, that do a really good job of making the transaction seamless and easy for both parties, is LensRental.com. Um, they'll they'll send you like we rented uh we rented our one fifty to uh, six hundred. Mm-hmm. When you went on that uh, mule deer hunt, because we had a big lens we wanted to buy, but we didn't want to buy it until we used it. So we'd rented it for like, it's like $120. We rented it for like $120 for a week. Ryer took it to, they, it showed up, it showed up at my house in a cardboard box inside of its own custom, like hard case. And it came, came with the tape and the packing label to send it back. So literally you didn't have to do anything. You just put it back in the box, seal it with the tape they sent, put the packing label on it, either drop it at, I think it's UPS or something, and uh, or they'll come pick it up. It's stupid easy. Um, all the stuff's laid out right there. You can even buy that lens when you're done. Uh, there's an option to buy it you know, straight from them and not send it back. We use lens, re- lens rental. If you're in the Georgia area, there's a big one in Atlanta called PC&E. Um, and, the, and, and lens rental doesn't just rent lenses. They rent, rent lenses, cameras, cards, lights. I think they rent just about everything. So um, that's the one we would recommend. They're super easy to work with. Um, They're really responsive on the phone. They take care of you. Um, that's who I would use if I was going to rent something. I think actually originally the plan was I was going to run it and then report back to you at the end of the week how I liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like four days in. You just decided you were going to buy it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we just we just decided. Yeah, I think you asked me the first day how I liked it. I was like, yeah, it's pretty good, but okay. you know, I still got to run it for a week. Yeah, so we we own that lens now. I bought that lens, um, used of course off eBay. So I was hoping to use it yesterday, but we never yeah. got the chance to. Yeah, it's a cool lens. That one fifty to six hundred. Big sucker, but it's cool lens. I like running it just because it's big. Sometimes I like running around with big camera gear just because it's like makes me look like a pro. <laughs> makes me look like I know what I'm doing. All right, next question, numero trace. Uh, what are ND filters, and how do you use them? The, the, simplest, the simplest way to describe ND filters is they're sunglasses for your camera. Um, we use ND filters anytime we can, just because in video, they're extremely important. So ND filters and polarizers, I'm, I know there's a difference, but I don't know exactly what that difference is. They virtually do the same thing. What they do is they really knock down those highlights in bright, bright sunshine, and they even out those lights. Um, so when we're running, like our FS7s have built-in NDs. They have three built-in ND filters. As soon as the light starts getting bright, and my and all right, so to back up, generally what we do on our FS7 is our shutter speed stays the same. So we're shooting in 24. Generally, I have my shutter set to 148th of a second, so double my uh, frame rate. I don't touch my shutter speed on my camera and video. The only time I touch my shutter is if it's super low light and I need to bump it down to 124th, but I never go below that because otherwise it gets really jittery. So my shutter stays on 148th of a second 90% of the time. 
All right, the sun starts coming up, and I have to bump my f-stop up to start, you know, dealing with that light that's coming up. Well, once I get above, you know, 7-1, you know, f8, something like that, that's when I'm going to bump down to my one-quarter ND filter. Okay, because I want to try and keep my f-stop number low because that's how I keep cinematic video, is I keep my f-stop number low, and I can really start blowing out things that are in my, you know, I can uh, lose my train of thought. Depth can, of field. I can you okay, yes, depth of field. That's the word I was looking for. I can still keep my depth of field when I keep that F number low. All right. And this sun starts coming up, you know, it gets nine, ten o'clock in the morning, and the fields are really, really bright in front of me, but I'm still dark in the shadows. But I'm filming something out in that field. Well, I'll bump my ND up again. I use NDs all the time. You should use NDs before you use your shutter or your F stop in video. Just because it's way more pleasing to the eye. So don't be afraid to use MD filters. I use them all the time. So I looked up the difference between an ND filter and a polarizer, and I think Mike just chimed in about the difference as well in the chat. Um, <clears throat> neutral density is, like you said, just basically sunglasses. sunglasses yeah. Polarizers, and this is from Adorama.com. Polarizers or polarizing filters work in a similar way, but the difference is that they selectively let white let light waves of a certain polarization pass through. Uh, And this effect helps create more vivid colors in an image, as well as manage glare and reflections from water surfaces. Oh, yeah, because you can see in water and stuff with polarized lenses. Yeah. Yeah, I So it's just, I'm not 100% sure how polarization works. I know that, like, if you go to the sunglasses store, if you turn your sunglasses a certain way, the polarization doesn't work on them. Like, if... Really? Yeah, I think when I was going to pick out my sunglasses, it did. I think it's it has to do with just uh, wavelengths of light are either they go on this plane or that plane. So if you want to cut out the polarized light that goes like this, then you use polarization that's like this, kind of like window slats. Yeah, that's my eyes are glazing over just talking about that. <laughs> I I read that somewhere sometime. I could be really wrong, but... Uh, and, of course, if you're listening to the podcast, that meant nothing to you because yeah. you couldn't see so, what I was saying. Exactly. Um, all right. And just to clarify, we are not experts on any of these subjects. We know people that are way better at them than us. We are still faking it until we make it every day. So we're answering, the, answering these questions the best of our ability. We could possibly be completely wrong on some of this. So we're giving you the answers on how we do it. Not how this is not the only way to do things. This is how we do it. Just to preface. All right, we have a question in the chat from Mike. Um, so we'll go to that one, and that is SD card specifications. Do they matter for video? If so, what specs should we be looking for? I.e., 170 megabits uh, per second. The U with the three in it, and so on. My limited knowledge about SD cards is I always want to buy a Class 10 card and then I want to research what my camera is writing to and how fast it needs to be able to read and write. Generally, if you get something that's 100 megabits, you're going to be okay. Like Ryer yesterday was taking pictures with his 60 Mark II with a junky SD card and he was taking, you know, a fast shutter, like, you know, taking pictures and the camera was taking forever to write to the card because he had a really slow card. He popped that card out, put a new card in, no more issues. Mm-hmm. So just make sure when you buy in a card, you check what your camera read and write speeds are and buy a card that will at least, at a minimum, 
read and write that fast. You know, rule of thumb is at least 100 megabits. Always buy Class 10 cards. Um, I think they have some now that are 100 and, I mean, they'll do 150, 190 megabits or something now, which is stupid. But um, just do, just read in your owner's manual like what those read and write speeds are or Google it and then buy a card that's comparable to the read and write speeds. According to the first thing I searched on Google, if memory serves correct, you're running an A7 III mic. Apparently that writes at about 97.3 megabits a second, so you want a 100 megabit a second card. But at a minimum, yeah. There's not a huge price difference usually between yeah. like 100 and 130, so if you wanted to get a 130, you just have more horsepower, and then you can use that card if you ever got a camera that shoots more than that. Exactly. Um, we'll go to a question on the notes now. I'm getting good at this. <laughs> Are we shooting in S log? Well, it depends on the day. Yesterday, oh, S, S log. Oh, on, that was on the S log. Question. I, we yeah. got another question. I was reading it while you were talk, talking. Um, S log for certain things. Um, everyday filming, uh, like when we're doing these series stuff, uh, like for the hunting habit and things like that. No, we're not filming an S log. Maybe we should explain what S-Log is. So S-Log is a color profile that certain cameras shoot in. It's a super flat picture profile that when you look at it on screen, it kind of looks like, well, that kind of sucks. But when you edit it and you color it, it looks really, really good. Everything that we just did for Blue Stem was all shot in S-Log or a really flat picture profile. And when it's colored, it looks really, really good. And you can do so much more with it. It's like a, it's like a, the same thing. It's like a almost in between between a, uh, in photo terms, the conversation we had earlier, JPEG, yeah. and RAW, yeah, and S log would be in the middle. Now, of course, this is a video, so your video equivalents would be uh, Rec seven hundred nine would be the JPEG, mm-hmm. and that's everything's baked in, and then RAW that you're going to have on like a Red or an Alexa or you know they got the Black Magics now that do it. Um, that's going to be raw. And then in between, there's your S-logs or your cinema profiles on different cameras. I don't know what they are. You're killing these analogies today. I like that. That's, uh, I like analogies. Yeah, I guess. Um, But anyway, the reason we don't shoot an S-log for everything is because S-log is a really big pain in the butt and takes a lot more time to color and edit. Um, And we, the reason, we shoot an S-log when the, project warrants the extra time like if it's a if it's a big enough budget project and it's going to be it's going to make a huge impact on how the project looks then yes we'll shoot an s-log if it's not if it's a series where you know these are turn and burn shooting edits we're not going to shoot an s-log because it doesn't warrant the extra time um if it's a commercial uh, you know a really big you know promo or Something that's high value, yes, we'll shoot an S log. Or now that we have the red, we'll shoot in raw. But uh, if it's general, just a hunt, hanging out, shoot YouTube video, absolutely not. And a thing to consider as well is that um, you could cameras have a certain range of colors that they're able to produce, and so uh, that also plays into editing. Like on the FS7. What is it, 10 or 12-bit? I forget. I don't remember. On the FS7, basically, the amount of color and the amount of data you have to actually work with and edit is going to be more than um, 
even the same color space on like the our our Canon 5D or 6D. And so even if we shoot that Rec 709 on our FS7, we can still do the color edits that we want to do without breaking the image and still have it look really nice. It just doesn't take as long. With S-Log, you have to do conversions, and it's just it's a little bit different. Well, it, you, it doesn't handle your it doesn't handle color the same way that 709 does. Well, so it you, just takes more time. You might as well talk about the LUT question because that's well, I think that was the next question, and that, and that has to do with S log. Yeah. So explain LUTs. Basically, the first thing about LUTs is LUT is actually an acronym. It's spelled it's L U T. It stands for a lookup table. Uh, and a cent- there's different types of LUTs. There's correction LUTs and there's creative LUTs. Uh, the best way to think about them is a preset. Um, basically what a LUT does is it takes all that color information that your camera records and it compares it to a specific mathematical algorithm and then it runs it through that algorithm and then spits out uh, a different color or a different look, basically. A different palette. Yeah, so the way that you would use it, on the way that I've been using it for S-Log is you take the S-Log, and the S-Log looks really flat. And you take that, and I have a correction LUT, which is basically to convert the S-Log into the Rec. 709 because the Rec. 709 is what looks nice on YouTube or Vimeo or wherever else. So you take that, that footage and you put that correction LUT over the top of it or on it and it basically takes all those flat colors, converts them mathematically into the bright vivid colors while still allowing you to have all of that edit room underneath it. And then you edit from there and let's say I wanted my let's say I wanted my shot to look like Django. Django Unchained or something like that. Very cinematic profile. It's red and contrasty. And I just don't, I don't know how to, or I don't feel like taking the time to actually dial in that color grade. I could probably search online and go Django. And I know you can, cause I've seen it on there. You go <laughs> Django Unchained LUT and you might have to pay some money for it. They've got some free ones. Uh, you can mess around with them, but you would download that LUT. And then I would put that on the footage and it would take and make that footage look like the color grade. And it's it's basically just like a mathematical formula um, that's make that's telling how that's telling the computer how to convert that footage uh, color wise. And it's more or less a preset. So you throw it over your footage to make it look a certain way. Yep. Long story short. There's a lot of ways you can use them, but that's that's the most the basics basic way to All do right. it. Another question is: I'm looking to get into videoing with my Nikon D750. I have a 14 millimeter and a 50 millimeter prime lens. What do you guys recommend for videoing? The so the 14 millimeter is going to be a super wide angle. So I mean that's going to be cool for some B-roll stuff and, and more of a picture lens than anything. The 50 millimeter is going to be cropped in a decent amount, so you're not going to be able to get really tight shots. Honestly, what I would do is if that's your camera, you need to invest in something that's like a 24 to 105 that's going to give you a wide and a, you know, wide and a long because those two lenses, if those are the only two lenses you have, 
you need those two lenses combined into one for videoing, if that makes sense. Otherwise, you're going to be changing lenses all the time to accomplish anything. Um, so go buy a 24-70, 24-105 type lens, and that's going to be way more versatile for what you're trying to do when you're trying to learn. And then once you understand how to run that lens, then there's some really cool stuff you can do for a 50 millimeter, like a 50 millimeter with a really cool interview lens. And then a 14 would be a really cool, like, wide establishing lens. So you just need to kind of get a feel of what your camera can do and getting, you know, your feet under you first. And the, the lens to do that is going to be a 24 to 105, 24 to 70. And I think in general, for the type of work that we do, prime lenses are, and prime is the, that type of lens. It only has one focal length. You can't zoom in, you can't zoom out. You get what you get. Uh, prime lenses generally don't lend themselves well to the run and gun documentary type filming because if I'm sitting this far from Caleb in a tree uh, and I only have one focal length, I only get one shot. And if I want to change that shot, I have to change the actual lens on the camera. Yeah. And while you're hunting, you there's situations where you 100% cannot and do not want to change your lens, mm-hmm. uh, but you still want to change the shot. So that's where you want to be using a zoom lens. And but prime lens, but prime lenses are super nice lenses and are known for being really crisp, mm-hmm. really clean, and having a really cool depth of field um, because they use the whole sensor and they don't they don't zoom in and out like other lenses, so they don't have some. They're going to be crisper and cleaner um, than like a 24 to 105 would, but they're not going to be near as versatile. So it's that trade-off. There's no such thing as a lens that does everything. I wish there was. I'm sure it'd be a million dollars if they made one. <laughs> but um, there's just there's not a lens that does it all. Had another one just come up. Should um, we jump to one on the list? Yeah. Well, let me get this one too okay. because we actually just talked about this winter productions. You missed the first two questions you've asked. We talked about before you got here um, a little bit. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Final Cut Pro software? I I use it and I like it, and I know a lot more features in Adobe in Adobe. But Adobe, it's got the monthly versus the one time purchase. Okay, D- we don't run Final Cut. Uh, I used to run Final Cut like ten years ago when it wasn't anything like it is now. Um, I know it's a great software for for getting your feet wet, but the reason that we use Adobe and we talked about cheating on Adobe and we still might cheat on Adobe just for video because there's other softwares out there. There's even a free one. And this is, and, and we, I mean, I guess we can let the cat out of the bag cause we are doing Q and a, we're going to start testing out DaVinci resolve 16.2. There's a free version of DaVinci resolve. If you're looking to get into high end video editing, um, there's a free version of that that you need to look into. It is awesome. Um, I'm sure Ryer will get on there and, and put the link in the comments right now to the download. Um, so you can go go on there, and it's going to give you some extremely powerful features. It has a it has a paid version that's going to give you even more stuff, but the free version is going to be as powerful or more powerful than Final Cut right out of the gate. We are thinking about moving to that for video. With that being said, we will always have the Adobe Suite just because of Photoshop and Lightroom. We wouldn't be able to live without those two things. Um, we use them all the time. And that is the advantage to the Adobe Suite, is we have After Effects, which we'll need After Effects too, and we use Adobe Premiere. Adobe Premiere is a huge pain in the butt sometimes. When it works, it's wonderful. Um, but Adobe is so good at integrating their other programs that we use on a daily basis. That's where the value comes in in buying the Adobe. And I like it. And I know it's expensive and you have to pay for it monthly, but 
to me, having a monthly payment of something is easier to budget for than having this one big bulk of payment like a Final Cut or a because uh, the paid version of DaVinci is like, what was it? $300? $600? I remember we figured it was going to be cheaper in the end. It's like 400 I thought. Some, somewhere in there. Something like that. But if, if you're going to look at, if you want to do the DaVinci Resolve route, or if you're looking to get it serious about video editing, go with a DaVinci because they are known as the color experts. I mean, their their color, pal- you know, their color um, interface is more advanced and better than any of them. Uh, that's what some of the major movies that are coming out right now are being colored on DaVinci Resolve. And they their editing is very, very similar to how Premiere is. Uh, we were watching a video, and they said something like, Premiere and uh, Final Cut had a baby, and that is where DaVinci Resolve was born. So take that for what it's worth. But we are going to try and edit a couple of short videos coming up. Um, some little one-minute deals that we've got going. We're going to try and do those on DaVinci Resolve and then do a podcast about it. All right, what's the next question? Next question is from at Huntcamp Media, and that is, what shot list would you recommend for a self-filmed out-of-state hunt? Say that one again. What shot list would you recommend for a self-filmed out-of-state hunt? Um, so... I, I'm i torn on this one because I've given shot lists out before, but I feel like shot lists are what make people lazy and what make people don't not to think. Mm-hmm. Um, shot lists are great for getting the bare minimum, but the bare minimum isn't what makes something good. If I was going to tell you a shot list, I mean, really the only thing I could put on a shot list is get a setup get animals coming in, get the shot, get a recovery. I mean, that's that's the shot list. But all the other stuff is what makes it good. Um, we, we don't use shot lists. Now, we have pre-production meetings where we go through and we say we're going to shoot scenes. We want a scene of this, a scene of this, and a scene of this. But there's never a time where we have a, a, a shot list because everything we do is quote-unquote reality-driven to where we have to be producers. We have to take a situation or a scene and produce that scene. Establishing shots, drone shots, driving shots, moving shots, transition shots, dialogue, transitioning in and out of dialogue. There's no shot list for that. It is all paying attention to what's happening and then figuring out how to use my camera to tell that best version of that story. So... I wish there was this magic shot list that existed. I I've, I mean, I've got a general shot list that we can make available somehow. I mean, I might even um, put that list in. I'll put it in the comments of this after this closes because I have it. It's like a general shot list of, you know, th- you know, get this shot, this shot, this shot, this shot. But I just don't like people using shot lists because it, it you miss out on things because you're so worried about just getting the shots on the list you forget to be creative. You forget to do what makes a piece of content great, which is you in the moment seeing something, seeing an opportunity, and capitalizing on it. So I hate shot lists. Well, I think that I think that sometimes the the shot list is talked a lot about, and I see it a lot. And the reason that I hear and see it a lot is because a lot of 
the content and instructional content that you're going to find online is based off of uh, narrative filmmaking, narrative storytelling, basically making movies, making scripted work, making TV shows, making mm-hmm. short films. And if you're in that situation, yeah, a shot list is something that you're going to do, but you're also probably going to script it. You're also going to... Um, I had other things in my head, and they just suddenly flew out of my head. So you're going to script it. You're probably going to storyboard it. Uh, you're going to plan your production. You're going to get locations. You're going to hire or source your actors. You're going to plan all these things. You're going to have only so much time to shoot this thing, and you need to figure out, okay, this is the scene. This is the storyboard. What shots do I need for this? Now, we... I don't. I've never shot something like that. You may have. I think you have. I mean, a we few shot times. some commercials and stuff. Um, but we, what were we're doing commercials. Yeah. Well, what we often do is not narrative filmmaking. It's documentary style filmmaking. And so what you're doing in the moment is you're recording what's happening. A lot of times. I mean, you can go into a shoot having an idea of, okay, this is kind of what I want to convey, but you also have to just go along with what's happening i mean it's a hunt so you're you're on that shoot you need to be able to uh film what is going on and then think ahead and go okay this is what just happened if i were to make a scene out of this what do i need how do i make this a something that stands alone by itself and that's kind of how i think about everything that happens in the field is if i'm if i'm with caleb and we go to Idaho to hunt elk. Okay, I know we're the basis of this is we're going to Idaho to hunt elk. So I need shots that show that. Okay, now we're uh, setting up camp, and I probably want shots to show setting up camp. Uh, okay, not we're just, not just one, a few pro- <laughs> more than probably Caleb would get. I would get more than that. Yes. Um, if we're sitting and all of a sudden. Uh, and elk bugles and we start chasing that elk i'm probably gonna get the footage that i can about what's going on right now as much as possible in the moment but then i also have to think okay we just we just got up uh to the top of this hill and then we heard a bugle and now we went down there i need shots to show all those things and it's kind of it's it's like you're doing all these things at the same time you're trying to film exactly what's happening and then you're also thinking about what pieces didn't I get because we're on a hunt and I don't have the chance to stop everything right this second that I need to go back and get to really develop this scene. So I think it's just kind of being cognizant, like you said, what's happening in the moment yeah. and going, okay, how do I how do I tell this story? How do I where is this gonna live in my edit? And so you're always thinking about, okay, what's happening? what do I want the edit to look like and how do I get the shots that will convey what's happening in an edit? Yep. So that's the, the shot list question. I always, I get that question a lot. Uh, let's see. Do we have, um, wait, there's a free version that is as good as premiere. I don't, we don't know if it's as good as premiere. We've um, heard it's pretty good. Though. We've heard it's pretty good, and we heard it's really robust. Um, so we're gonna let you know. We're gonna find out because if it's 
if it will do playback better, if it will cut down our render times, uh, if it's as user-friendly, then we might be making the switch. All right. Question number seven on the list at Maddie underscore Iceberg asks, what type of mics are great for outdoor recording? Um, we use, I mean, I'm assuming you're talking about like ambient and um, dialogue. We, we, we run three different kinds of mics. We've got, I run Sennheiser G3 live mics um, as my wireless mic. And I, wrote a, I run a Rode NTG 2 or 3 is my shotgun. I can't remember which one it is. And then, Ryer, you run the, the Sony Lav mics. Mm-hmm. And then you're running, the, you're running the stock Sony shotgun on it, right? I don't know what brand my shotgun is on there. I think it's the Sony one. Yeah. It's either that or a Sennheiser probably. But there's, man, there's so many mics. Um you can't go wrong with the Sennheisers. We've had a couple of issues out of the Sony's, um, just from them working directly with the cameras. There's a port that they'll work directly on. They kind of, kind of gets a little sketchy. So we've, I don't know if we'll buy Sony's again for mics. Yeah, I don't, I don't, it's the, 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 the problem Sennhe- that we've been having is I'm not sure if it's related to the camera or if it's re- related to the mics. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to say what, which one? But the Sennheisers are bulletproof. The only bad thing about the Sennheisers are they're, the microphones are expensive. Like, if you break the mic cables, <coughs> the mic cables are expensive. Um, Sony's are, too. Yeah, they all are, because they know they've got you, because you, they know you're going to break those mic cables. Um, and then we run some Rode, like, little on-camera mics for DSLR sometimes, and we have a Sennheiser on-camera mic. And I don't remember the model numbers for these guys. Um, I'd have to sit down and, like, find the model numbers, but... Best piece of advice I can give you is read reviews. Um, it, read the reviews. Don't just look at the stars. Read the reviews. Um, and 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 if you need specific model numbers, just just email us or uh, message us, and we'll get you specific model numbers. But I don't know those off the top of my head. Outdoor Runner says Deity shotgun mics are great and ninety nine bucks. Haven't have you run? I haven't run one of never those. Have. But I've seen them. Never ran good. What is that? We've run. We have those. What's the little one that you really like? It's that, a Sennheiser. Is it? Yeah, I don't remember the model number, but yeah, it's a Sennheiser. Uh, we need a pod, Jake. Ant Ants Till. I probably didn't say that right again. Sorry, Jake. Uh, podcast for Red and YouTube videos showing her off. It's not really a question, but yeah, I can get behind that though. We could. We yeah. could do that. The. I remember when he sent that in, I replied that it was going to be hard to really show off the red in its full beauty without another red. I mean, what, yeah. you're going to shoot the red with the FS7 in S-Log? I mean, yeah, seems like you're not doing it full justice. We just got another one from Full Draw Assassins on the, uh, the DMs. Question for the YouTube Live. Any rule of thumb for flash use for pictures of harvested game or outdoors in general? I've used a flash twice ever. Yeah, I don't. We don't use flashes very much. I need um, to figure that out. Um, and we might should, but we don't. We'll use a we'll use a bounce like a madman. Um, I would rather use a bounce because they're simpler. Um, flashes just don't use them very much. Um, buy a bounce, buy a big one, <laughs> buy a big one and a little one. They're cheap. 
Is that um, for at night or? I think he's just ta- taking pictures in general. Um, oh. Night pictures. I mean, I don't really, we don't take a, I mean, other than night lapses, we don't take a ton of not, night pictures. Um, We wait till the next day. You know, we'll clean something and put them in the cooler and take them out and take pictures the next day. Because if I'm taking, if I'm going to take the time to take a picture of an animal, I'm going to take it in the best light possible because mm-hmm. I want to do that animal justice. Um, so that's my two cents on it. Yeah, I've used Flash a couple of times, and I just guessed and checked until to, I got it right. To, yeah, and to me, flashes wash things out. Yeah, I think you really have to have – I've seen – Which I've always used a cheap flash. I've never used a good one. Yeah, I've seen, like, the wedding photographers using that flash that's, like, this big and it's got the big strobe on top. Yeah. I think that one does pretty good, but I know that if you really want to get deep into flash or make things look cool with flash, people are using off-camera flashes and umbrellas and bounces. Yeah, that would be a great the, question for Chris Irwin. Chris Irwin know. Oh, yeah, Chris Irwin would know. Maybe yeah. we get Chris Irwin to do an in-depth photography podcast. Maybe that's the next thing I have him teach me is how to use a flash. Yeah. So I do not know well, That's just going to cost me more money because we're going to have to go buy flashes and... <laughs> All kinds of crap. Uh, at Cody J six zero three three, going on uh, first elk hunt this year, trying to sell film advice. If you're going to sell film an elk hunt, you're a tougher dude than me. Um, you know they make a couple little lightweight tripods or you know little rigs. We we did a monopod um, elk hunt last year, but we weren't self filming. Um, I would get me a, a camera that's really good at autofocus. Um, maybe one of these new Sony's, maybe something that's small and light. Uh, and I don't know, man. Golly, that's going to be freaking tough. If you pull that off, I want to see it. Um, I d- don't know of a... I mean, if you're sitting at a water hole, or you know, you're sitting and kind of like deer hunting them, I can see it happening. But running and gunning them? Dude, I don't know how you'll do that. Like, I really don't know what advice to tell you because I don't know of an effective way of doing that. Um, a small little lightweight tripod that you can flip out really quickly and a camera that's really easy to use. That's about the only thing I can tell you, man. I don't know. I mean, I have, I am clueless on that. That's a, that's a freaking undertaking, though. I can tell you that. Good luck. I don't think I would ever do that. No, I wouldn't. I would I would just assume I enjoy the camera at I, en- I was about to say I enjoy elk hunting entirely too much to ruin it by trying to film <laughs> myself. <laughs> I don't know if there's a lot of things that it, I'd film myself. I guess at. I mean if you're if you're just dead set on trying to get video of it, man, get you a, a GoPro that faces you and a GoPro that faces away from you, and put it in 4K and hope for the best. <laughs> That's what I do. We're ter- we're really bad people to ask about self filming because because yeah. uh, I detest it. We I, I we make a living by not letting people yes, self film. I detest self filming. <laughs> God, I've tried it like twice, and I'm like, never again am I doing this. Even like at the office, I hate self filming. No, the guys that do it and do it well, like I've talked about Casey shooting before. He's one of the best guys I know that does it. Freaking Dudley self filmed a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, more power to you. And I have no desire. Uh, I mean, this is probably the same, but, uh, at Sam undercore under undercore and undercore. That's a good name for a band undercore. Yeah. What kind of music do you think they would make? (laughs) Undercore. It would be some sort of grungy emo pop rock, (laughs) but with a very edgy, (laughs) that's way too specific, very, very edgy 
Okay, see, you know, this Take is a things. podcast that we could have. Idea. I've seen all the movies. You've heard all the music. See, I'm not I'm not very cultured in my music. Oh yeah. Not at all, actually. I do like the musics. You do like the musics. I do like listening to the musics. Sam underscore Roliff. Uh tips on self filming. <laughs> um, don't <laughs> that's that's such a that's I mean, a bad answer. You should I think, you I should think, definitely do what you want to do because this is America. Yeah, I think the the thing the thing is with self filming is it's really really hard to do. It takes somebody extremely dedicated, um, and the, the hardest thing to do when you're self filming is to keep the production value up because most things that you're doing are, are going to be auto something. You're not going to be able to pull focus. You're not going to be able to do all these things when you're running and shooting. Um, the best tip I could I would give you is find somebody who's really good at it and ask them. Because I would reach out to Casey Shootman. Like, no crap. CS Shoop is his Instagram handle. At CS Shoop 4. Hold on. I'll tell you for sure. Um, Casey, I love you. I'm sending people you right. CS, all right, C-S-H-O-O-P 24. C Shoop 24 is his Instagram handle. He has self-filmed a bunch of stuff, and uh, he is really good at it. I would reach out to him because that is what we do. If we have something that we're not good at, we reach out to people who are really good at it. We are not good self-filmers. Reach out to him. If you have really in-depth Photography questions like flashes, reach out to Chris Irwin at I Know a Guy. I think that's just a good key in general. Yeah. I think it's to know that you can't be the best at everything. Nope. And if you run into a problem that's just continually giving you issues, there's somebody out there who has fixed that problem. And if not, then it's probably a really big problem. If you fix it, you'll be a millionaire. Yeah. And my thing so yeah. find the people who have fixed that problem. And ask them. Yeah. My thing is, when you're trying to be really great at everything, you're never really good at anything. We try and really focus on being really great at producing, shooting video, and editing. The best that we possibly can be. And then everything else, we are figuring it out. We're subbing it. We're asking lots of questions. Because we know what we're not good at. And we know what we are good at. And the time and effort it would take us to be experts in everything that we're asked about, I mean, we we couldn't do it in 10 lifetimes. So what we do is we reach out to people who are experts in those fields. And that has made us, that, that, that elevates us as it elevates them. So don't be afraid if you're not good at something. Don't be afraid to try and learn it. Um, but if you don't have a knack at something and you're not great at something, don't be afraid to either hire someone to do it or to ask for help. So, I mean, you look at Hollywood movies, the credits are that long for a reason. Yeah. It's because in order to make something that good, mm-hmm. you need a person who is very good at every single one of those things. Yep. Very few people, maybe nobody, is as good at all of those things as each individual person is. So that's why you've got 400 people in the credits. Yeah. To all do different jobs. So, and a really big bill does come with a big bill that is true 
Uh, question number 11, at three, underscore, three, underscore, O, underscore, with, underscore, A, underscore, Bo. <laughs> 330 with a bow. 330 with a bow. I just want to say it like that just one yeah. time because it's fun. Uh, what setting on your Mavic Pro do you recommend changing or have you changed? Um, what we only think we've started doing recently is we started shooting things in 2.7K. And the reason we did that is because it gives you a wider field of view. Um, but we also run that camera autofocus, but everything else we generally manually change and exposure and everything. We we change that exposure just like we do our big cameras. Um, but it's, in terms of, I think there's like a, a cine setting to where it'll shoot a flatter pr- picture profile. I don't do that. Um, mine's set to, I think, what the camera comes in. I, we just do a lot of work in post on the color. Like, we really bump up the contrast, crush the blacks, give it some shadows, and then give it some saturation, and then go from there because generally it comes pretty flat, and uh, the, it d- just doesn't have any contrast. So that's really the way we make them pop. And another reason that I think our, our drone footage might look better than others is we don't linger on drone footage. A lot of guys will put in drone shots that are 15, 20 seconds long. Ours are three because we're just using that drone shot to get us from one place to another. We're not using it as this long, drawn-out clip. We're just using it to change your eyes, to change the scene. So that might be another thing, is if, if you're really looking at your, your footage wondering why it doesn't look better or something you can do to make it look better, well, you might just be looking at it way too much. <laughs> That's my two cents. I think the... Because you look closely at some of our stuff, and it's going to be like, oh, you know, we gotta. You, we, there's some camera trickery in there, no doubt. Yeah, I think the only other settings that I've messed with is I took the sensitivity of the scroll reel, s- scroll wheel that changes the pitch of the camera because sometimes I, it's just hard to be doing like such small adjustments and trying to do the camera so it goes up slowly. So I changed the sensitivity of that, and I think on the Mavic. Two Pro, there's actually a mode called like cinema mode or something like that that allows you to that basically smooths out all of the controls, so it's not as touchy. Hmm. I think I've never changed that, but I've heard people have, and it helps kind of get smooth, smoother shots, and it makes fine tuning as you're flying a little bit easier. So, uh, number twelve at Mike underscore Hearn who is actually listening uh, live as well. More about slow-mo settings, when, why, and how to use them. What was that? I'm sorry, I'm reading more comments. I guess I'll answer this one then. Go ahead. Uh, More about slow-mo settings, when, why, and how to use them. So uh, the basics of slow-mo is that in order to slow something down, you need to shoot it in a higher frame rate than you will be editing or exporting the video in. Uh, You're more often than not going to be editing and exporting the video in 24 frames a second, 30 frames a second, and I guess maybe 60 frames a second. Um, So if you want regular motion, you're going to shoot in 24, 30, or 60 to match whatever your output is going to be. If you want to do slow motion, then you're going to want to shoot at a high frame rate. So, uh, you know, generally we're going to stick with Let's just stick with 30 because that's an easy one to work with. Um, If you are editing in 30 frames a second, if you're going to export in 30 frames a second and you want slow motion, 
if you shoot in 60 frames a second and bring that footage into editing, it's going to slow it down. And the way that works is math. Um, <laughs> math. Uh, I, I was, I, my brain was thinking faster than my mouth was working, so I really had to just slow that down so mm. that I could catch up. Um, and I'm not the greatest at math, so we're going to try to do this off the top of our head. We're going to find out why Ryer is a video editor and not an engineer. <laughs> um, if you... Are are editing in twenty four frames a second. It means you're basically you've got twenty four individual pictures flashing per second. If you go and shoot sixty of those and bring it into Premiere, uh, you shoot. We'll just do one second. You shoot sixty pictures and bring it into Premiere, and Premiere is set at thirty. Uh, you have sixty pictures, but Premiere is in thirty, and so it's going to take that one second, and it's going to turn into two seconds because. 60 pictures is now two seconds of 30 frames a second. Uh, and you can basically do that as high up as you want to go. I mean, the FS7's highest at 1080 uh, resolution is 180 frames a second. And uh, there's another Sony camera that does 240. Is that the F700? FS700, yeah. Uh, and then you've got anywhere up to those phantom cameras that shoot thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably did a really bad job of explaining the math there. I'm not great at talking about math on the spot, but basically what it's doing is you're giving your camera, you're giving the editing software more frames to work with, and so it just extends that inside of the editing program. Yeah. And the beautiful thing is if you shoot high-speed there's a lot of times we'll take high-speed footage and make it regular speed. Mm-hmm. And you just change the speed and duration in Premiere, and you can make it shorter or longer. Uh, you don't like, don't slow, and, you know, you can slow down slow-mo footage just a little bit, but you can speed it up, and it looks perfect. I was trying to see if I could find a better explanation on Google, something that was, <laughs> like, if I had time to write this down, it would be much better. But right off the top of my head, it's not always the best. Yeah. Um, so when you would use that, why you would use that, how do you oh, use yeah, that? Yeah. All right. Yeah, so I think high speed is something that's real cool. Everybody loves a, a cool high speed shot, and I like shooting kills in high speed just because it gives me a lot more latitude in editing to s- stretch things or slow them down, speed it up, move them around, speed ramp. Um, but I think that high speed is used as a crutch, just just like I think voiceover is used as a crutch, just like drone shots, just like montages, just like slider shots with a DSLR. I think all these things can be well, you know, way overdone. Um, I think it is a, a tool in your tool belt that you need to be able to use and know when to use it. But um, in terms of shooting everything in high speed, now that I have pretty much every camera that we have shoots in high speed, I shoot less in high speed than I ever have. Um, and the reason is because you, you're not going to have audio with high speed, so you're either going to have to sound design or you're going to have to build music around it. Um, and then think about virtually everything that you watch on television, on Netflix. I mean, how much of that is in high speed? 1%, 2%? You know, And that's probably in some big movie that was shot on a Phantom that they slowed down and sound designed. So... You just gotta think about what you're trying, what you know, what you're trying to convey, what kind of message you're trying to tell, um, and try not to overuse it, you know, because it it has its place. But it, I mean, I can't tell you how many 
opens or montages I've seen that are just high speed shot after high speed shot after high speed shot. It's like, come on, dude. Like not just because it's just because you have a high speed camera doesn't make your production better. It doesn't. Um, it just shows me that you have a hard time of telling a good story unless it's in high speed because it looks cool. So the difference between something looking cool and being a good story or a good piece of content. Yeah, always gotta balance that. Yeah. Um continuing on with Mike, talk about filming with mirrorless cameras. Um as opposed to maybe DSLR cameras, but I think the main thing with mirrorless cameras is uh, that I've found the difference between like DSLR is a live view. Uh, the live view is really good, and they're usually lighter unless your mirrorless camera is an FS7. And they shoot and they shoot silently for pictures, and they have peaking oftentimes. Yeah, um, I don't like the mirrorless for taking pictures, and the reason is. You're not looking into the glass when you're looking into your viewfinder and your little viewfinder. When you're framing a shot for pictures, you're looking into a tiny screen. I hate that. Um, it's just it, it's a preference thing for me. I think if that's the only thing I'd ever had, if I, if that's the only thing I'd ever had to shoot on, I'd be fine with it. But I like taking pictures with my 5D way better than I like to take them with my A7 III uh, or A7 II, whatever whichever one I had. Um. It's just my preference. Uh, those cameras are awesome. They're tiny. They can fit anywhere. Um, other than the screen on mine, they were pretty rugged. The screen broke like the first two weeks I had it. Um, I don't know. I think it's a preference thing. I started shooting with Canon, and I've stuck with Canon. Uh, but the Sony mirrorless cameras, man, they're freaking they're tough. Now, we haven't shot with the new mirrorless um, Canon at all. Um, I've heard good things. I'm not messed with it. I just didn't want to spend the extra money when I could buy a Mark IV and you know do virtually the same thing. But we don't shoot a ton of video on our DSLRs. Uh, all our videos shot with the Red or the FS7s. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we use those for pictures and as you know, sometimes a secondary camera, but very rarely. You know, we just don't shoot video with them. So, I mean we probably wouldn't be the best people to ask this either. You know, I would find somebody that runs mirrorless, you know, pretty much all the time and ask them this question because that's just not us. Yeah, I think I think most of the differences you're going to find between uh mirrorless and a DSLR camera is in the actual physical properties yeah, the ergonomics of the camera and that's because it doesn't have a mirror, it's recording straight to a sensor and it's electronic and it's not, you know, it's not actuating a mirror to flip up and expose the sensor. Um, and I think that's why a lot of them are a lot better at, at filming than a typical DSLR is. But most of those differences I think are like, besides the ones that you mentioned are more or less pretty negligible. Yeah. Um, so it's really the same as running any other camera for the most part. Yeah. Besides you get a couple of extra little perks because everything's electronic as opposed to, um, as opposed to, I guess, analog kind of with a DSLR, more or less. Um, so, oh, fun question. You already answered this yeah, in chat, but I answered it in chat. If you yeah. have time, how good is your team roping uh, when at the Rock Bottom yeah. Ranch? I'm left-handed, so it's not very good. Um, you, it's a right-handed sport. It's extremely prejudicial. 
I know I could be a healer and be left-handed, but healing sucks. I don't like healing. I'm a header. Moving on. I think that's all the questions we have. We can stick around for a few more minutes and see if anybody uh, on the YouTube live has any other questions before we end the podcast. But yeah. that's all the all the questions we have. Um, yeah, thank you guys for uh, hanging out and supporting us. Um, make sure you subscribe, share, you know, tell other people about it. You know, what the the podcast is is growing slowly but steadily. It's a small, you know, a small little niche thing, but I think it's some information that guys really are are, are looking for and wanting. Um, so we're we're still going to do the class August seventh through the ninth, the Redneck Tech Podcast Production Class. It'll be held here in Dahlonega. It's $500 a man. Um, We are going to do some prizes and incentives, a way to win a free trip out here to do it with us. We're going to do some, you know, a bunch of different stuff. It's going to be a fun class, I promise. You will learn a ton. Um, We give away a ton of free information on this podcast, but I promise if you get to be here and be hands-on, it's even better. Um, I know Dustin's been to some podcast or been to a class and, some other guys have been. Um, ask them what you know what their thoughts are about the class. Um, we'd love to have you guys out and hang out for a weekend. Um, we're working on a location that's going to be really cool. We're working on a bunch of different stuff, but we're busy like everybody else. So um, bear with us on trying to get some of that stuff rolled out and uh, spread the word. That's all I got. Yeah, we've been trying to. We've been trying some different things on the page. Um, if you guys haven't seen it, uh, and let us know if those are helpful for you. I know we've been doing some of like the tutorial stuff on the actual feed, uh, trying to do some different things for the podcast and trying to just give you guys more value there. So um, let us know if you like it or if it's helping you. Uh, a lot of those. Something you want to see. Yeah. Um, we're going to. We're trying to do more stuff on the YouTubes, trying to do more stuff where our faces are in it and we're talking to a video camera, which, uh, you know, I think you guys should be happy about because neither of us really uh, like doing that too much. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason that we usually stay behind the camera. So, um, Sam Rocliffe, have tips for self-filming. We just went over that. Yeah. And 10 I'm, minutes ago or yeah, so. And so. I'm answering and I'm answering the winter productions. One the light streak style photos mainly set up set up or in post work. Those are all long exposure shots just like nylapses. Take a long picture and you move a flashlight around and that'll be a streak of light in the image. So that's how those are done. Let's see. Okay, light streaks. I thought for a second I um Headbusted just got on. He just said, Hey Red Velvet. What's up? Um Yep, and then uh, Outdoor Mentor said he said he had a good time at the class. Um, it's a lot easier, especially for me, to explain things when I can actually physically do, physically do it yeah. or walk you through it. Because yeah. some of this stuff is kind of difficult to... Very visual, some of it. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's video, so... Yeah, and editing is very hard to explain if you don't have, like, actual an actual timeline in front of you sometimes. Yeah. So, uh, if for nothing else... It's way easier and quicker to learn when I can go take a picture of that and you go, oh, well, it's blown out. And I can look at the camera and go, okay, that's why it's blown out. Do this with your dial. Yeah. Now take the picture yeah. and you can look at it and go, oh, okay, I see what yeah, yeah. 
what the difference is there. So, um, that's all I got. Should we wait for more questions or? Yeah, I mean, I told my wife I'd be home 45 minutes ago, but Uh-oh. she'll get over it. Uh-oh. I'll be there shortly. I texted her and told her I'd be late. <laughs> we'll give it five more minutes and I'll roll out. What can we talk about to fill the time and, and, and until somebody uh, has a question for us in the live stream? Oh, what should man. we talk about? I don't know. Um, Went bow fishing yesterday. Yeah, we did go bow fishing yesterday. That was fun. That was fun. Killed a bunch of fish. I sent a I sent a clip to John and Chuck of the overhead of all the fish in the water. Pretty that cool. looked pretty cool, huh? Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, you can see them. You can see them. Yeah, to flank you got y'all. real excited flying the drone. <laughs> can you see them? Oh yeah! <laughs> it was cool. There was just so that many. That was fish. your first bow fishing trip and your first airboat ride, wasn't it? Not first airboat ride. I rode an airboat in Texas earlier this year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome content, great information. Love the tutorial post you're doing. Thanks for all the knowledge you're sharing. You welcome, Devin. Y'all's welcome. Yuns. Yuns. Is it Yuns? Yeah. Yuns, y'all. Don't try and fake a southern accent. You ain't got it in you. No, I'm not I'm not trying to fake okay, a good. southern accent. All right. You Actually, already make fun uh, of me for mine, so uh head busted this morning. Asked me how my southern accent was coming along. I yeah. said, uh, "It's sometimes I get a little bit of a twang, but not very often." You should have said, "I'm getting used into it." <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I didn't even know that word existed <laughs> until ever, just now. If you ever need any consultation on how to how to coerce with another Southern guy over text so they think you're from the South, just let me know. <laughs> I, I do consult. You you do consult. <laughs> I do consult. You do consult about the Southern accents that you don't have, apparently, Caleb. I. I, I just okay. I like to give him crap because one time I told him he had an okay. accent and he went, I don't have an accent. I don't have an accent compared to other people. Well, it depends on who you're comparing it to. Like, I don't even know. Like, how do you properly enunciate? Like, you get, like, no, like, if I were to try and properly enunciate, I would have to really slow down my talking. Oh, you just, just got to be more skilled, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Just gotta you gotta talk more better. Mike more asked, better. Michael Hearn asked or Mike Hearn because I named him Mike. Any experience with a budget drone? If so, do you have any recommendations? Is it budget drone or budge drone? Budget drone. I'm assuming, I'm assuming he wrote was meaning to write budget. I do not have any experience with budget drones. Um, I think that is one thing that you get what you pay for. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, they're really inexpensive. Yeah, the DJI Mavic is hundred dollars yeah two the mavic, three the mavic mavic one yeah is really cheap now that the mavic two's out and i'm sure dji is going to come out with another one in the next six months so we'll have to buy another one then yeah, that's but, another um, thing with buying used drones especially i mean as soon as the new drone comes out yeah the previous two generations people just sell them and oh, then yeah. they're just cheap they gotta have that new dumb drone. cheap so Which I can't wait to see what technology comes out on these next ones man because these the ones we got now that mavic two is stupid I've heard, Stupid. I've heard the Mavic, those Mavic Minis are even pretty good. They're like that big. That scares me. It's hard enough to find that Mavic in the air, much less find that tiny little thing. Yeah, I have a hard time with that. Yep. Oh, the other thing I was going to say earlier is I don't go see 3D movies. 3D doesn't work for me because of my eye. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't think about that. 
So I can't. Dude, you'd have been really pissed if that trend would have kept going. If what? That trend would have kept going. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I can't watch any movies now. They're all going to be in that weird. Uh, <clears throat> Devin just said Mavic $400. Mini $400. I ain't paying $400 for a miniature Mavic. No oh, way. Man. All right. I'm, uh, I'm done. I'm tired. I need to go take a nap. Well, I think I think that's it for us. Yeah, uh, that was hour and 30 minutes. So, hour 45 on the stream. Ooh. Nice. All right. Appreciate it, guys. Um like I said, holler if you need anything. Class is coming up. Peace.